Welcome to episode 21 of season 2 of the Search with Canada podcast. My name is Jack Chambers-Ward and I am joined by Mark Williams-Cook. This week we will be talking about the new Apple search engine, the May 2022 Google Core update and Citrix's data around that, PAA spam sites and how they can be potentially used for keyword research, and a new side-by-side service feature being tested by Google. Search for Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. You can go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their Instagram hashtag generator, hreflang validator, checking out your site's visibility index, and the Google update tracker, which we'll be talking about in a lot more detail later on in the show. That's systrix.com SWC for free tools. So this is actually a rumored new mm. search engine from apple but apparently from a trustworthy source so this came from a tweet from guess who glenn gave oh man glenn gave <laughs> good old glenn um and he was actually talking about a tweet by robert scoble so many of you may know at scobleizer on twitter who was talking about Apple's WWDC, which is their worldwide developers conference where they announce a bunch of new stuff, like new APIs for developers. It goes on over a few days, but there is a keynote on the 6th, which is actually, I believe, going to be the date this podcast is aired. Yes, Indeed. Monday the 6th. So if you are listening to this um, today, Apple will be doing their keynote for WWDC and these are a couple of tweets from Robert. He said, Apple's WWDC will be the first of three events that Apple is preparing for next year, introducing the world to augmented reality, a form of which we haven't seen yet. Interesting. And he goes on um, to just kind of detail what, what he thinks is coming in WWDC. But interestingly for us, at least in the SEO world, he finishes on a very nonchalant, oh, and a new search engine is coming too. <laughs> Will Siri finally get quote unquote smart? And Glenn uh, Gabe had kind of wrapped this up saying that this isn't a guess from him. He's heard this uh, many places. So initially I was a bit like, meh, so what? You know, there's, <laughs> there's loads of other search engines. No one can compete. And I've, I've seen a lot of people talking about what needs to happen with a new search engine to be a competitor to Google, which is fundamentally actually they need to do something different because in terms of traditional search results google is so far ahead in terms of technology and generally i believe personally in in search quality yes they're not perfect but if you've used any other search engine for a long while you realize the other ones are far from perfect as well <laughs> but there needs to be a completely different angle and, and some search engines have done that like there's search engines, you know, that plant trees based on searches and things like this. But fundamentally, from a user value point of view, from the value exchange of my time, I'm doing a search, give me the thing I want. They're very similar to Google. We've kind of covered this. We talked about how we'd both experimented with a few other search engines. I think you'd used DuckDuckGo for a while and then gave up and just ended up Googling things, right, Mark? There was a setting for like, just Google it for me and then just ended up using Google yeah. instead. Yeah, so they have this, if you do a 
um, exclamation mark G, it will run the search basically on Google. And I, once I learned about that, I found <laughs> with increasing frequency when I was kind of like, on, cause I had, what I was doing was having Google kind of on my laptop desktop and experimenting with DuckDuckGo on my phone. But what I found was a lot of the searches I do on my phone are more kind of urgent. Yeah, so sure. I'm moving around, I need to find something. So with increasing frequency, I just found myself being like, I don't have time for this, just Google it. <laughs> um, which, you know, brings me back to, well, it's obviously, for me at least, it was giving better answers. But this is why I then, after thinking about it for a while, got quite interested in this. So there's two things here that interest me. Firstly, um, for those that don't know, last year, Google paid Apple, I believe it was $15 billion. Yep to basically have be their safari search the default search engine on safari yeah exactly and this is obviously because lots of lots and lots of people have iphones and it shows the enormous value of them being present on those devices and people googling stuff obviously there's a direct correlation there to the money they make on their ads but i imagine that's a longer term yeah yeah um, a longer term play so i think Last year, it was like 200 billion in revenue they did, again, with like 70, 80% being on ads. So I doubt that they directly got 15 billion in revenue from iPhone ad clicks, and, but they're paying for that kind of privilege as well. So firstly, it means that I guess if Apple wanted to, they have a huge head start on any other search engine because they can just put themselves on people's phones. But yep. the interesting thing for me was the comment about will Siri finally get smart? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because for me, Siri is notoriously dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of useless. You can't even do basic things like, you know, set two alarms for this. And it's just like, what? <laughs> but this leads into what I was saying around my searches on my mobile were a, kind of more urgent and I just wanted them done. If Apple can crack having an interface, that's more of an answers and a doing engine between Siri and their search engine, which I think is possible because they've obviously got the under the hood knowledge of both of those things to make them play together nicely. Yeah. Then they could be onto something because if my phone could give me decent answers, you know, like it, it fails a lot of time if I'm like, is this store open or when is this open until how, how far is it until this? If they can give me those answers, I would do that instead of Googling it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it, you've got to go for a different approach, right? You can't just, at this point, you can't just copy Google and just kind of do what they're doing because they are, as you said, so far and ahead away in terms of technology and things like that. You're kind of just picking up their scraps at that point. If they go for a different angle, and we've talked about, again, talk about how DuckDuckGo are now going way more towards that security-focused kind of side of things and a few other things that you mentioned, uh, Ecosia, who plant trees and stuff like that. There are a few different ways of doing it to to kind of get your own little niche and your own little angle. I think if Apple could do something like that where they're prioritizing those kind of answering local questions or really fast responses and things like that, that could be something really interesting. Um, to dive into a bit of the history of this, this isn't the first time we've heard of Apple kind of thinking about using search engines and, and building their own search engine because Barry Schwartz, of course, at Search Engine Roundtable, 
kind of went into a bit of the history as far back as eight years ago when some of the people in SEO spotted signs of the Apple spider crawling about, Apple bot crawling around. And then in 2015, more Apple bot sightings and even Apple listing some of their own search ranking factors as well. And there's also mention of a very big uh, honcho at Google, John Gianna uh, Manedra, going over to Apple in 2018 as well. So there's definitely some seeds being planted over the last sort of decade or so of Apple wanting to move into the search engine space. So yeah, this is clearly not an overnight decision. And I think, as Robert Scoble said, this could be the big announcement coming up that will lead to a lot of stuff going forward in the future as well. And I'm very, very interested because there aren't really that many companies that can compete with Google, that can compete with Meta, that can compete with these massive, huge technological corporations. Apple is one of those companies, one of the most profitable companies in the world and has been for a while now. So yeah, it, it's a big a big dog of the technological world moving into search engine and SEO and stuff. I think that's really, really interesting. I'm not an Apple user myself. I never really have been, but I'd be very interested just from a kind of technology standpoint, seeing what they're going to do different and how they're going to stand out against people like Google. We haven't even mentioned Bing as well. Could they then eat Bing's lunch and move up to the second spot and be, you know, accounting for five, six percent of searches? Or as you said, Mark, if it's like a mobile focused thing, they could really do some numbers with the amount of searches that are done on mobile compared to desktops for those, as you said, the the fast response I need to know if this is open or how far away this is or when does this thing change? That could be really, really interesting. Yeah, for me it's they need to get a differentiation that is centered around reducing friction further for the user. It boils down to that. Yep. DuckDuckGo is great, but to be very brutal, to me, it's just Google with a gimmick. <laughs> it's Google with privacy. Sure. Uh, Ecosia is great. It's Google, well, you know, a lesser version of Google with a gimmick, yep. i.e. they plant trees, which is great, but they are not fundamentally making the job of the user easier yeah it would on average take longer in my experience to find what you're looking for so you're you're essentially making a choice to trade off your convenience the whatever the the thing is that you want and i think a lot of apple users like i said my friends my colleagues who use apple i've always been a an android kind of person but my friends who do use it talk about how easy it is to use how well integrated if you're in the apple ecosystem it all just kind of works together and there's no extra like oh i have to go and do my windows updates and all this kind of extra stuff like apple stuff just kind of works out of the box most of the time and you get your iphone your mac your ipad all connecting then connecting to siri and like smart devices and stuff like that as well apple tv now tying into everything they're really kind of branching out and i think being part of that ecosystem and having you know, that search on your TV, that search on your iPad, that search on your phone, that search on your, whether it's a Mac Air or a, or a proper Mac, like, you know, you're a designer or a developer or something like that using it. It's fascinating to see how far reaching they can be and how far reaching they could be even more considering their whole thing is kind of that accessibility, right? That kind of out of the box, it works straight away. So yeah, I, I can definitely see that being a direction they'll head into. And the, the thing I'm, again excited about is if if they pulled this off this to me is kind of ushering in the next phase next generation of seo so for for quite a while we've spoken to clients about building a digital footprint so this is more than just 
okay, we want to appear on a list of search results, we want to rank highly, we want links. This is about, okay, well, let's think longer term, it's likely going to go down the route of more intelligent personal assistants, more answers, more people just telling actions to devices. So how do you become the brand, the company, the organization that, su that supplies the answer to that query when someone wants to order the pizza or all the curtains from, <laughs> from their house? How do you be the organization that that intelligent device is going to recommend? Because they're yeah. still going to make choices and I'm yep. sure there will be more personalization wrapped in there, but there's still going to be algorithmic choices and therefore, there will be ways to optimize this. And I'm sure what will happen is we will see, as we have done historically, greater parallels between customer-centric business modeling and what is considered optimal for these devices. Yeah. So, you know, Google's always tried to say that, like, just make good content because mm. the idea is good content just magically gets good links. Therefore, that's why we want to rank it when actually the search sort of SEO people focused on, well, I can if I can just get the links, I can yeah. skip the hard bit. <laughs> As one of the golden rules of SEO, I know you and I talked about this in the early days of me like coming on board with Candor and stuff like that. Thinking about SEO, when you're optimizing for a search engine, it can't negatively affect the user. That, yeah. is, that is such a golden rule of SEO that I think most people kind of grasp these days, hopefully. But I think it, it is a thing where, as you said, Technology is getting smarter and smarter, literally in terms of smart devices and stuff like that. Things like the Google Assistant and Siri and all this kind of thing and Cortana that nobody ever uses with Bing. Even though <laughs> it's a cool name. It's named after Halo and stuff. It's a cool idea, but I don't know anyone who's ever used Cortana consciously. No. Usually gets... you click on it and go, oh, God, no, 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 don't do that. Turn it off, turn it off. Yeah, it gets turned off on install. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, I think that golden rule of anything that you're doing to optimize for search engines shouldn't ne negatively affect the user experience is another key part of this, right? I think having that, like I said, accessibility, ease of use, fast response for users, I think that's definitely where the industry as a whole is going. And I think I'm very interesting to use the term like the next wave, the new generation of SEO, because I know we've covered this a lot. We are so Google focused in, the, in our industry because it is so dominant. It is essentially, you know, the search engine for all intents. It's literally synonymous. People use the phrase, I will just Google that instead of searching for something. Even outside of the context of literally using a search engine, people still use, I will Google that as the verb. So yeah, I'd be very interested to see if Apple can almost take some of that mind share as well away from Google, not literally in terms of like number of searches and stuff like that, but even think people kind of addressing that in their day-to-day -day kind of household name kind of stuff. Apple is already a household name, so they've kind of got that foot in the door in many ways. So final question to you to wrap this section off. If it's not called Google it, what will it be called for Apple? That's interesting. Yeah, what are they going to... What are they going to... It can't just be called like Apple Search or something boring, right? Apple it. I'm going to Apple it. it. Yeah. Do where if it's a, is there some Apple puns in there? We could make I guess people say I'll, I, I'll ask Siri. I've heard yeah. people say that. Be yeah. like, I've heard people. Yeah, it's obviously more casual. But oh, what's this? Is what ask Siri? Yeah, rather than saying Google it. Yeah. So nobody says, oh, I'll ask my Google assistant. <laughs> said no one ever. <laughs> I reckon. I reckon it will be Siri based. Yeah. I reckon it will be yeah. Siri will be super Siri. 
is there a Siri pun there that we could be making that I'm not put, I, I don't really know the origins of the word Siri, so I'm not really sure how we could. No, no. Staring, Sorry, listeners. Staring blankly. Listeners, if you do know, let us know. <laughs> Tweet at us, and if you have any ideas for what the Apple search engine could be called, if it hasn't already been announced by the time you're listening to this, which is cheating if it has been announced. <laughs> These guys are so wrong. They're idiots. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As many of you in the SEO industry probably already know, Google rolled out their first core update of the year last week, almost literally as we were recording last week's episode. So Mark and I were quite annoyed and we, we messaged each other literally, up, I think it was like half an hour after we finished, like, oh yeah, they've just announced it just now. So we are actually going to dive into it a little bit and we'll also tie it into a fantastic article written by our friend Steve at Systrix. And we'll go through and look at some winners and losers from the core update and some data from Systrix themselves as well. Mark, do you want to dive into the, the core update, the official wording from Google, and then we'll dive into some Systrix stuff in a sec as well. Yes. So incredibly exciting, as usual. We love a core, core update. Updates, um, in that it's not. They... <laughs> <laughs> so... I think it's probably been like a couple of years now. Google stopped giving their updates interesting names. Uh, they stopped telling us specifically what they were kind of addressing in those updates. Yeah, they kind of put the veil back over in a way. Like there was a lot of secrecy for a while. And then they, like, as you said, revealed like, oh, yeah, this is because specifically looking at spam stuff. This is looking at link stuff or whatever. But now, yeah, like there's the... The pre-Penguin and the post-Penguin era and all that kind of stuff. Now it's just the post-May 2022 core update. It's, like, it's not as catchy. Yeah, I, I actually find I it harder to remember when the updates were because they all, they all sound the same. Or so you yeah. just need to memorize the, the months. But I mean, I, and to be fair, we've, we've actually had a couple. Like we had the product review update when yep. we've had, but they're quite small and targeted. But generally with these big updates, they don't kind of tell us anymore what they're affecting but i think we've been through this before i think it's actually probably because of how they work in that 10 years ago they would actually say update the link algorithm or update how yes. they look at content specifically because i think there's more machine learning involved now they, and everything's kind of interconnected yeah, way more than it was a few years ago right yeah i and so i think kind of broad core is almost a good way for them to describe <laughs> it but it makes it a lot harder. I mean, there was lots of jokes when this was announced within a couple of days of people saying like, oh, I wonder when the first analysis will be out because, you know, there, there are people trying to publish kind of an analysis within 48 hours of these updates yeah. coming out, which is... When, when we had Steve on the show a few weeks ago, I kind of touched on this with him and talking about how there is that real kind of competition between whether it's independent SEOs on Twitter just trying to tweet at the, the, the known publications we mentioned Barry from Search Engine Roundtable earlier or going to Search Engine Journal and things like that and trying to get those links, trying to get that coverage for whether you're a freelancer or for your agency or whatever it is. And yeah, people just dive on this stuff straight away. And there's a lot of speculation around sort of the early time, people seeing some volatility in rankings or, you know, changes on their site, whatever it is, maybe some indexing issues, whatever it is. Keeping an eye on that kind of data can give you a, an idea of, a core update coming up but what Systrix have done here and what we're going to touch on in a bit more detail is kind of the after effects of that 
and what this could actually mean for you and your site and what it's meant for some big retail sites here in the UK as well. Yeah, I, I especially like just covering these because I know we have got like some people maybe working in smaller teams or in-house who aren't on Twitter and it is possible to miss that these updates have happened and I have actually seen a few people posting what looked like fairly big changes from this update which I love I think that's super exciting when that happens so if something drastic has happened that might be why but as Jack said this is this is the official wording uh, that, that Google gives so they say several times per year we make substantial improvements well, I think I should say changes, really, mm. but we we make substantial improvements. So the very that's the corporate Google. They're like, yeah, we're improving everything. <laughs> everything is improvement. Everything's fine. So we make substantial improvements to our overall ranking processes, which we refer to as core updates. Core updates are designed to increase the overall relevancy of our search results and make them more helpful and useful for everyone. Today, we're releasing our May 2022 core update. It will take about one or two weeks to fully roll out. So a couple of important things there. I think it's always useful to just go over the, you know, the Google statement to ground yourself. You know, as, as we've known, you know, Google's saying they want to make results more helpful and more useful. Google is specific about what it means by these terms. So they've talked before about time to results, so how long it takes users to find what they're looking for. In their webmaster guidelines, they list what makes a good page. So they talk about things like performance, uh, security, mobile friendly, all these types of things not being misleading to the user. So don't you don't have to take these as fluffy terms. Google gives you a lot of guidance. We've been through like with the product review update as yes. well. Google gave us like a 20 point list of things that they expect in reviews. And as we said, you don't always get that information. You don't always get that level of transparency. We talked about other stuff. And again, what I talked to about with Steve a few weeks ago when we had him on the show, something if you're working in Amazon, which is its own search engine, which is still melts my brain that Amazon is a search engine. It's that big. But they change stuff all the time and there is no announcements. There is no like press releases. There are no transparency for any of that kind of stuff. So one day your product can be doing fine and then suddenly, you know, sales drop off a cliff and you have no idea why. And it's because Amazon updated something and they didn't tell you. Google, considering they're the big dog, is surprisingly transparent. From what I, I hear, keeping my ear to the ground, when that happens on Amazon... It can be because there's suddenly an Amazon version of the product. Yes, unsurprisingly. But unsubstantiated. <laughs> but there's some interesting documentaries about that. Anyway, so I think it's useful to just go over this, keep ourselves grounded. And, you know, the, while these statements are kind of vague, there are specifics behind them. They go on to say, core updates are changes we make to improve search overall and keep pace with the changing nature of the web. While nothing in a core update is specific to any particular site, these updates may produce some noticeable changes to how sites perform, which we've noted in previous guidance on what site owners should know about core updates. And this is what you should know. We confirm broad core updates because they typically produce some widely noticeable effects. Some sites may note drops or gains during them. We know those those with sites that experience drops will be looking for a fix and we want to ensure that they don't try to fix the wrong things. Moreover, there might not be anything to fix at all. 
There's nothing wrong with pages that may perform less well in a core update. They haven't violated our webmaster guidelines, nor been subjected to a manual or algorithmic action, as can happen to pages that do violate these guidelines. We touched on this a few times before as well. I think the phrase like penalized or penalty is thrown around very liberally in the SEO community, especially when it comes to stuff like this, when it comes to Google changing algorithms and doing updates and stuff like that. A penalty and manual actions are pretty serious stuff. As far as I know, on all the sites I've worked on over years, I've never had one, thankfully. But oh, we'll have to try and change. That. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, none of my clients are listening. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a it, the phrasing Google uses there is specific, as you were saying, Mark, because they don't want people to panic and just like suddenly change a bunch of stuff because they saw a bit of a shift in their traffic or a, a bit of a shift in their core web vital scores or whatever it might be. Suddenly, people panic and change a bunch of stuff that probably didn't need fixing and it was just kind of a bit of volatility and then settling down a bit and i think it's it's wise that google tell people that these days because i've i have seen sites over the years panic and then really kind of shoot themselves in the foot with oh yeah we completely changed how we uh handle all of our blog content it's now done in this style instead of this style and we completely changed our internal linking structure like okay did you do that overnight did you plan out a huge like map of your site and think about how that works like well you know we we saw a lot of changes and we made a we tried to react as quickly as possible like don't do that calm down have a think about it actually read that stuff in fact i'd advise as you were saying mark go through and read the webmaster guidelines go and read actual google documentation it's something and when i was first getting into seo like three or four years ago one of the first things somebody on twitter said to me was go and read the original documents, like the old page rank stuff and like the really old school stuff, and then compare that to the current advice and guidelines from Google. Because as you said, Mark, there is genuine information and layers of transparency in there that we don't often get from plenty of other sources, essentially. And I think it's really interesting having that as a way to kind of give context to stuff and really ground yourself, as you were saying, around these big core updates that happen because we're not given much information with these broader updates, I think that can cause a lot of panic. But thankfully, we have people doing a lot of analysis, people checking the data, people reviewing stuff. And kind of why we're here is we're trying to help you out to say, hey, by the way, we have our sources. You know, we work with Systrix through them sponsoring the show. They have a bunch of sources and data journalists they work with who do the analysis. And hopefully with you listening to this show and us reading these, reading these articles, we can get a bit more context there and kind of help you not panic and go, oh God, you know, my site suddenly crashed. What's happened? Hopefully you can get an understanding of why and maybe you can do some positive changes that can then help you grow in the future. Systrix do actually have a tool, don't they, for checking the impact of Google updates? Yes, that's all part of the free tools. I mentioned at the top of the show. So you can go to systrix.com slash SWC. And if you click on the Google core update checker, you can actually get a full timeline of your site and you actually get positives and negative swings depending on the updates and things like that. I know you were checking some sites that we've worked on and, and were working with recently earlier on, Mark. It's pretty interesting, right? Seeing a full timeline of like how many different changes have happened over the last year or two, even, you know, I think it's been six months since the big last big broad core update, give or take, which is longer than usual for Google. But as you said, we've seen the product update reviews. We had the page experience review. I think that was in March or February as well. Yeah, it's, it's really simple. So you just whack in the domain and it 
gives a nice timeline of all the updates and gives you just a nice easy percentage visibility yeah. plus or minus because that's a really laborious thing to try and do manually <laughs> i really really like that tool just as a oh gosh i want to check you know 10 20 domains quickly um it's a really nice way to do it yeah you also mentioned obviously some people have done analysis and i just wanted to um quickly bring up a thread i saw by uh, multi landwehr i will link to it in search.withcanda.co.uk our show notes and he's just done a little kind of observation of some of the ranking changes early on again just to um show what he's found so i'll just read this thread for you it's not that long it said five days ago google rolled out a significant change to its ranking algorithm the may 2022 core update is a blessing for some and a bane for others <laughs> i dug into data from semrush and systrix to understand what happened Based on the 100 largest losers and 100 largest winners, I observed three major trends. One, video instead of text. Interesting. Interesting. Not surprising. Interesting. No, not, not surprising. Two, specialists instead of generalists. Again, not surprising. Very happy with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, going through with touching on things like EAT and talking about experts talking in their field, authoritativeness, trustworthiness, all that kind of stuff. Having specialists totally makes sense. Third and lastly, better search intent matching, which I loved because obviously that's what also ask basically specializes in. <laughs> so he said in the video space, there are basically only winners. TikTok grew 99%. Does it need to grow anymore? <laughs> and YouTube, already one of the most dominant websites in Google's organic rankings, grew 23%. Yeah, huge growth over all of the video sites. We touch uh, on them pretty regularly when it comes to winners and losers, don't we? I think that's been, uh, even when we were talking about Trendwatch last week, how influential TikTok can be in terms of trends and stuff continues to blow my mind. And the fact that it just continues to grow and benefit from a lot of these updates. TikTok, for you can question the company and their ethics and all that kind of stuff, but they're clearly doing something right in terms of the visibility and the awareness that they're getting from search marketing. This next one's particularly interesting for me. News publishers known for trying to rank for everything lost on average 4% of their Google rankings while e-commerce and travel specialists grew by 5%. Google can recognize which websites actually have expertise, authoritiveness and trustworthiness for certain topics, like you said. And this was interesting because we, I spoke to a, a very big e-commerce site a couple of weeks ago and they were saying, oh yeah, well, all of our kind of categories, what's ranking at the moment is kind of like magazine publishing type sites, just doing roundups, roundups after roundups of every single kind of imaginable product and just putting affiliate stuff in. And this is one thing um, that Multi's noticed has taken a drop. So he's done here some analysis in the thread for when these more generic sites are just trying to kind of also publish you know celebrity news but then they're trying to review underwear and eyeshadow as well and google's been like mm, maybe not <laughs> yeah touching on that for the kind of generalist news stuff uh steve's right up here on systrix also touched on that and actually quotes uh multi's tweet thread there as well touching on the kind of the 30 new sites that steve analyzed through systrix's data as you said mark a general loss for most although what the independent.co.uk has been doing is something interesting. They have their specific topic landing pages. And it's exactly what you were touching on there, Mark, is 
them having those specific topic landing pages rather than a way more general news category or anything like that has really, really benefited them. And a direct competitor, which is the dailymail.co.uk, does not have those topic landing pages and saw a basically an equivalent loss. So having really specific topics broken down into specific landing pages really is a benefit for these far more generalist sites. The Independent basically covers everything from celebrity news to technology to everything in between. So actually having those topic landing pages really helps grow those rankings rather than just trying to cover a bit of everything all at once. It's really having those targeted landing pages. Again, I think is kind of a golden rule of SEO. Most people kind of gather that already, but when it comes to a site as big as independent.co.uk or even the dailymail.co.uk, there's so much stuff to be talking about and so many different topics. The fact that they've kind of consciously gone to that effort has seemed to really pay off for them with this kind of update. I'll let um, our kind of listeners read through multi-thread themselves, but the last kind of thing I want to touch on that he brought up is a lot of the kind of Wikipedia-style reference websites um, were quite volatile with a lot seeing dips as well. And he's, he's kind of come up with the theory here that this may be because Google's getting slightly better at intent matching. It's finding, like you said, these more specific pages They've been set up rather than using, and I agree with this, sometimes it leans on these kind of trustworthy but very generic sites as almost like a, a, a plan B, a backup. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what they're asking, but I really trust this site and I'll put it out there. And I do actually remember, I think we covered it together perhaps, one of the um, core updates maybe last year where we did see an increase in dictionary sites and such. So again... It's yeah, that not... came up in a previous Systrix data yeah, piece. Did, yeah, it did, didn't it? So... I'm not surprised that we see these ebbs and flows um, again as they're trying to improve the algorithm. Yeah. So again, diving into more of the Systrix data here, there's some really interesting screenshots from looking at some of the retail options here in the UK. Uh, as we know, UK retail stuff sees a lot of volatility, and we've talked about the winners and losers and that kind of uh, in that industry quite a lot. But particularly looking at the SERP comparison feature on Systrix, which I really, really love, you can see kind of uh, green arrows where things are moving up red arrows where things are moving down and a gray arrow where things stay similar. And you can basically compare where you're appearing on the SERP from one date to the next for a particular keyword. So taking uh, the example Steve has here is corner sofa and comparing that from the 26th of May to the 31st of May 2022, you can really see a lot of shifts from everyone from Dunelm to Sophology, Furniture Village, The Range, Wayfair, Ikea, all the massive names here in the UK. And there is significant changes in that top 20 to say the least there is movers and shakers pop both positive and negative across the board and of course we have some winners and losers diving in across across the uk uh so looking at the top 10 winners and losers for the may 2022 core update uh the winners are going to be disappointing for uk-based e-commerce companies the latest boost kind of solidifies the position of the massive sites such as etsy amazon ebay all that kind of stuff. So yeah, looking at the top 10, unsurprisingly, eBay is up there at number two, eBay.co.uk, and number one, Amazon.co.uk. Unsurprisingly. Never heard of it. <laughs> uh, and then coming through, you got Etsy at number three, Amazon.com at number four, ASOS, Argos, House of Fraser, Very, Zalando, and Gumtree rounding out the top 10 there for the winners. And then going over to the 
losers side of things, again, focusing on the retail side of things here in the UK. Uh, I just mentioned Dunelm as one of the biggest losers for Dunelm. Uh, I was planning on going there over the weekend, uh, last weekend, and I didn't, so maybe I'm contributing to that factor. Uh, Screwfix, John Lewis, Hobbycraft, Homebase, uh, AO, Debenhams, Superdrug, Not on the High Street, and Wayfair rounding out the top 10 there as well. So, yeah, I think taking the kind of snapshot and analysing the data there from a UK retail perspective it is always interesting to see how this is affecting. We touched on it with the product review update not too long ago, and it's going to be a thing we're going to come back to many, many times because it is such an interesting way to get a glimpse into what is happening in the industry as a whole and get a glimpse into kind of the, the data behind these broad core updates. So, yeah, I highly recommend all the links for all this stuff will be in the show notes, of course, search.withcanda.co.uk. There'll be the links there for the Systrix blog post by Steve and the link to Multi's Twitter thread there as well. So something I spotted thanks to our friend Sajo George over at TLDR Marketing. Thank you as always. Highly recommend that. I know we mentioned it a couple of times before on the show as maybe one of the best marketing newsletters. It's one of the few I subscribe to and one of the ones I really recommend to a lot of people to get your daily dose of SEO, PPC and marketing knowledge. He highlighted something that we've kind of touched on a few times and I know something you've directly experimented with and, and tried and tested, Mark. Thinking about PAA data, so people also ask data and how it can be used for spam sites and specifically this example from an AMA on Reddit talking about how it could be used for keyword research. So do you want to dive into this a little bit? You've got first-hand experience with some... Uh, spam site testing and experiments i know you've been running <laughs> we've touched on it a couple of times and i'd like to just get a little a little update from you and your <laughs> your spam site and how it's getting along <laughs> yeah so we're just running an experiment based on kind of a lot of things we've ob observed testing really how what i want to get out of it is seeing how google is currently reacting to kind of scraped and amalgamated bits of websites put together because historically they've been pretty good at not ranking it and the, the theory that i put forward during the talks we've done on like the zero volume keyword stuff is that because of the combination of things like passage indexing but understanding queries better improved indexing crawling of the web that there is a whole kind of empty playing field of if you answer a question very specifically, Google can understand the query that matches up to that, and it will probably rank even if the content isn't great. And I decided to test this on a brand new domain with literally like putting just two or three links to it. So it's not gonna be a link-based thing. Don't expect it to rank for you know any kind of head terms. And it's been live about four or five weeks now, and I've been monitoring it in Search Console dangerously and Bing <laughs> as well um, and Bing has certainly been uh, more eager so the, to, as well to give you some context this isn't a huge site like millions of pages I think at the moment it's like 10-15 thousand pages that have been generated over the period of a, a month Bing I think has indexed about six or seven thousand of these pages and has already sent five six hundred visitors in the first few weeks of the site being live and Google's sort of behaving in a similar way in that it seems to be quite happy indexing all of the content um, 
it's it's still got a whole bunch in the whole um crawled discovered but haven't bothered indexing yet but not saying that it's crawled and decided not to index them yet uh, i think google's indexed about four five thousand of those pages which is still for a new domain with zero original content on it um way more than i expected google to take up and i think uh without checking right now it's given us about 250 300 clicks from google so in total from just being in google it's around about a thousand visitors in the first month in the tens of thousands of search impressions for basically a site that was like zero effort and that's just <laughs> growing and growing and i'm interested to see obviously like i don't you know i haven't got ads or anything on it i'm not particularly interested in that i'm just interested in seeing how how that's reacting and because we've seen the the big version of these sites with like millions of pages and some have you know come into kind of the community eye and obviously drawn attention and we talked about the ones that got penalties that after about three four five months um so i'm interested to see as well if any of the core update stuff tackles these kind of yeah sites. again they've touched on spam stuff quite a lot in the recent updates and it is something i think the fact that so many of us in the industry and in the community are experimenting with this kind of stuff i'm pretty sure google's aware of that so <laughs> yeah right <laughs> if we know about it then they know about it so yeah i think the the guys over at google are definitely going to be aware and trying to kind of unnecessarily quell and quash this necessarily but they're definitely aware of this stuff going on and the fact that as you said earlier mark the quote from google is like just make quality content and everything will be fine it's like yeah but you can churn out rubbish and also get indexed and great rankings and get more clicks than some legitimate sites do <laughs> so yeah it's interesting and going through to this kind of thread on reddit here what these guys have been doing is taking that kind of scraped people also asked data those really long tail search terms churning out articles like a few thousand articles letting the site mature so they use an age domain unlike what you've done mark using a, a brand new domain they will take an a, an older one and then basically run it through uh, a script that they've written in Python using Google Search Console data, analyzing the keywords, and then picking out some of sort of like just under 100 or so, sort of in the tens or the hundreds, um, and getting legit writers to work on a legit white hat site to then create those, and basically using it as like a little testing bed for keyword research, essentially, and then using that data to do legit white hat seo which i think is an interesting way of doing it but i'm intrigued to see how again thinking about how this is going to work long term and all that kind of stuff yeah i, I think it's interesting you you see this quite a lot for people that are breaking google's guidelines they tend to have like legit sites as well um on the side what i find interesting about this is again going back to the zero volume keyword research stuff we know that there are search terms with hundreds of monthly searches that still come up as zero on all the tools yeah. right? So this is essentially what they're using these spam sites to find. So they're saying quite openly, okay, that, you know, I've got Mediavine on these sites. Um, I've got a program background. It says he runs over 50 of these sites um, that are just people also ask question answer sites. And like you say, when he finds keywords that, that rank and get volume, he actually removes those questions from those spam sites and puts them on here makes them legitimate legit essentially sites. yeah, yeah and it legitimizes that's, them that's a smart you know that's a smart thing to do he's also included some fun facts which is that last week's update so the may 2022 core update 
boosted Black Hat PAA sites, according to what people I know are saying and my experiences. <laughs> Google is doing a great job, as always. Sunglasses, smiley face. There you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, th I think that's just a really interesting kind of approach for that. Um, I kind of feel a bit disappointed that if, if Google is somehow still rewarding these sites or even more just you know, and I, I understand why that could be happening, but the the greater gains people make from this, the more people are going to be attracted to it because, yep. you know, it it's not that complicated in terms of anyone that can code, can, you know, work out within a few days how to set yep. one of these sites up. Um, it is creating a lot of crap on the internet, which isn't nice because we all have to live there, right? <laughs> um you know, and the, on, the only upside is, I guess, the bigger problem it gets, the higher it gets on Google's list to fix. But I don't think it's going to be a particularly easy fix for them to do because the, the content is going to be, well, the sites are going to look very similar to legit ones. Yeah, and it's very interesting. This technique of kind of legitimizing the spam is is an interesting one for me. If you don't have that data and if, if Google is able to kind of stamp down on all the rubbish and get rid of the spam then this method kind of goes out of the window with trying to legitimize some of that stuff and turn it into actual seo content and actual relevant content for users so it's an interesting thing and i know it's something you've talked about with you know working with the developers on also asked as well and thinking about how people are using paa data in very different ways now whether that is going through these kind of experiments or using it for keyword clusters and topic clusters and all that kind of stuff, content hubs on their sites. It's an interesting combination of stuff, and I'm fascinated to see where this go. And the fact that, um, as the, the thread here on Reddit says, we're seeing boosts from, from core updates for this kind of stuff, that's got to stop at some point, right? That has to, we have to get to a, a critical mass of spam and rubbish on Google. You would hope, you would hope, but yeah. Links for all of this stuff, of course, are in the show notes. That is through to a Reddit thread on the r slash just start subreddit. Uh, some of you may all know Reddit. Some of you may know it already. It's for like search marketing, affiliate marketing, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, links for all of that at search.withcanda.co.uk. Shall we finish off with something quick and easy, Mark? But potentially interesting. Potentially very interesting. A tweet highlighted coming through here from Shalom Goodman. An interesting little experiment Google might be running on a side-by-side -side SERP feature. And what we mean by that is it essentially looks like they're running a two-column version of a SERP. So you get your ads, you get your map packs, you get all your kind of stuff that you're expected to see taking up all that real estate at the top of the search page. And now, on the right-hand side, there's a bunch of organic results leading into things like people also ask data as well. Very interesting. And the fact that both Barry Schwartz and Danny Sullivan from Google have commented on this saying, mm, I've not seen this before from Barry Schwartz. Mm. It's new. It's new. <laughs> it's new. It's new. And then Danny saying, yes, this is very likely we're running experiments. So essentially confirming, but also not saying like, yeah, this is totally a new SERP feature you're all going to see soon. Google does this stuff all the time. We've covered this plenty of times, and I know Bing do this all the time as well, and the other search engines play around with little bits like this all the time. This is bold, though. I mean, this no is big. This we is normally bold. cover, like, or we see coverage when Google's changed, like, they've changed the font face slightly, <laughs> and yeah. everyone talks about it. This is, 
they've just whacked another search result straight in there. Yeah. And I assume this is desktop only. Yes. Because well, I believe so. You, you couldn't fit this on a mobile. Yeah. Which so that surprised me because obviously Google banged mobile on first, about mobile first, mobile first, mobile first. You know, <laughs> and then like, oh, we're doing stuff on the on on the desktop only version. And then it's and then like, what do we what do we call those rankings now? Is that like is that like your position of three B? <laughs> position of right? th- three on the right, but two on the left. <laughs> yeah. And do we continue to scroll? And then the only plus side I could see was, oh wow, we've got organic, classic organic results above the quote unquote fold again, even though the yeah. fold isn't really a thing now. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just above, not above seeing the ads. ads, above the map packs, above all the other stuff that you see on these these kind of SERP features. I think it's kind of cool from from a from a kind of biased purist SEO kind of thing. I'm not an I'm not an ads kind of guy, so boo to all the PPC stuff taking over my real estate on my search engine result pages. But I think it's very interesting the fact that Google kind of really pushes a lot of that stuff. We talk about how much money they make from Google Ads and all that kind of thing, and how much they try and promote new SERP features. People using schema and markup and structured data to really get into utilizing their SERPs in various different ways. We've talked about, you know, indented results and tabbed meta descriptions. Uh, Citrix have a fantastic library of all the different SERP features, which I'll link to in the show notes as well. All these different kind of things. And then, as you said, Mark, they essentially just chuck another SERP on the side as well. It's like, do you oh, like okay. it? Yeah, yeah. As a user? Yeah, I'd be, I, yeah, yeah. I, could, I was talking to our search specialist, Luke, the other day about how there's this kind of, I don't know, a lot of people think like, oh, these paid ads, because they're taking up real estate, they are negatively affecting my hard-earned organic rankings and all this kind of stuff. When in general, that that doesn't often seem to be the case because a lot of people, if you're going to click ads, you're going to click ads. It's, it's often those kind of less tech-savvy, less aware of SERP features and stuff like that that will just click on an ad your grandparents, your parents, all that kind of stuff. Well, 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 I would like to interject here if I can. As with, a, as with a some, parent. With some data. <laughs> okay. With actually some data. So if you're in the UK, there is a yearly Ofcom report, which covers, uh, like, it's called Media and Attitudes or something like that. You'll find it if you Google Ofcom Media and Attitudes. Almost every year that I've read that, they include a sample of adults and say, like, 13, 14 year olds asking them questions about ads online. And this shocked me, which was, I have to recall this, the last time I checked, which I think was 2020 or 2021, the last one I read, the last report, in the UK, it was only 49%, I believe, or it was below 50% of adults, so those over 18 surveyed, could reliably identify what was an ad and what was not on Google. Interestingly, with the, I think it was 13 to 15 year olds, younger, it went as low as, I think it was 35%. Wow. Couldn't identify which were ads and which were not, because my assumption was, hey, it's all the oldies. Yeah. Um, Accidentally clicking on the ads. I I think it's the people who haven't been educated in this, right? So you've got the, the, the generations before the internet who, why would they know the difference in SERP features if they don't work directly in a tech industry or an SEO industry? And then if you're 13 or 14, do you learn this stuff at school now? As a man in his 30s, I'm like, oh God, do people, 
Are kids learning about SERP features? Are there like SEO GCSEs? Is that a thing? There seems to be degrees in like everything these days. You can do a degree in surfing if you want to or whatever, like not to disparage surfers, nothing, no, no problems with the surfers. But like, it's this fascinating thing of, yeah, then there's that sweet spot of, I hate to say, us, the millennials at the current, and the current geriatric uh, millennial. Yes, you're, here. you're a geriatric millennial. I am a bog standard millennial, basically. <laughs> a man in his early standard 30s. Standard millennial. Standard millennial, that's me. Uh, yeah, going through and thinking about I remember a time before the internet, but I grew up using the internet from like my teenage years. I remember having a school computer and like all that kind of stuff and trying to download photos and it taking ages and hearing that noise of the modem that you hear at the beginning of the show every time in in our theme song. And I wonder if there is that kind of sweet spot where we are in our sort of like post post teens, early 20s through to like I don't know, early to mid 40s, maybe that is like this kind of grew up with the we're educated in the internet kind of age. Whereas people like my parents in their 60s can barely use Amazon and wouldn't be able to tell the difference between an ad and an on organic result if you literally paid them. And again, if you haven't been taught that and you're young enough to not know the difference, maybe that's that kind of Venn diagram of you just don't know yet. Yeah. I, I, have, a, I have a theory that overlaps with that, which is that when say when i started using the internet right it was much more wild westy a lot less regulation <laughs> there were ads on yes. search engines but 99 times out of 100 the ads would take you to awful websites <laughs> just just bad websites yep. right or just just rubbish not safe for work stuff so often. well just even stuff i didn't and want and i just didn't yeah. want yeah, yeah. so yeah. I learned that to get what i need to get i need to skip the ads that's a really good and me too I have the exact same experience. However, it's very expensive to run Google ads nowadays. Yeah. You absolutely cannot run Google ads on a long-term basis if your site is bad. Yeah. Therefore, I think now younger people can Google stuff. They can click on the first thing they see and generally they will go to a good website. So they never learn to be burned of, oh, I need to avoid this. Because why would you? Because again, it's the path of least (laughs) resistance, right? You just click on the first thing you see, get something good, brilliant, job's done, rather than... If if it answers your question or solves your problem, then who cares? Yeah, rather than the, oh, I clicked on, oh, it's rubbish. Oh, I need to scroll down a bit more. Oh, I see it has a tiny label on it that says ad. I need to avoid that. That's my theory. Very interesting, Um, yeah. I don't like it, the double thing, but I don't like change. (laughs) I don't, I don't think it's going to stay. Showing, you're showing the geriatric side yeah. of you being a millennial there, Mark. Don't like change. Uh, too much change for me. Google, <laughs> stick to the typeface changes. That's okay. Too, too much page space. Too much, too much room on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we will link to Shalom Goodman's tweet in the show notes. So do go to search.withcanada.co.uk. There you can find all the show notes and the full transcript for this episode as well. And that is all the time we have for this week. We'll be back next week, which is Monday the 13th of June. We might have the update from the Apple search engine stuff that will be happening probably as you're listening to this. So hopefully we'll be back next week with some more news about the Apple new search engine. And Mark and I will be back next week to talk all more PPC and SEO news. Until then, thank you very much for listening and have a lovely week.